Rewind is brought to you by Press Play to Continue and recorded in the great city and state of Austin, Texas, also known as the live music capital of the world. It is written, produced, and edited by me, Corey Latimer. Now, if you'd like to show your support by keeping Press Play to Continue weird, head on over to my Patreon at PressPlayToContinue slash Patreon.com. I sincerely thank you for your time, your love, and your generosity you have shown me. It lets me know I'm actually going down the right path in life. Thank you. Now, on to the show. It is episode 16. This is Press Play to Continue Rewind. And I just want to say I certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate you coming back and enjoying me in an episode considered to be one of my favorites, I think, because of the fact we are going to be actually talking about Into the Wild today. It also is based on the nonfiction story of Christopher McCandless. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into that. Um you know, throughout the, the episode. So really, I mean, honestly, have you ever thought about leaving the rat race and exploring the world with every intention of making every moment count? I have. And that's exactly what this movie and nonfiction, like I just said, story portrays so well. This is a true story, and I'm happy to share it with you, sure. Because not only is it meaningful to me, but to everyone who is, you know, replicates a gypsy soul like myself. To travel and live in a moment is only a hope and a dream to many. I tend to find myself trapped in this, you know, this day-to-day, this monotony that we, we have, you know, that comes across through our mind, you know, our mindset. And to circumvent something like that is extremely powerful, I think. And that's why I think Christopher McCandless is so intriguing, loving life the way it was supposed to be, and not dealing with the overtones of, a, of you know, like a false hope of today's reality. To get into it, actually, the movie itself, just on the movie aspect of it, just real quick, just real briefly, uh, it was released in September of 21st of 2007, so uh, almost, you know, uh, I guess almost a full year out of high school for me. Uh, and it was directed by Sean Penn. Uh, who I think did a fantastic, fascinating job with this movie. And the budget was only around $15 million. The box office numbers, however, were around $58 million. A decent profit margin, um, I think, especially in 2007, uh, being on such a low-budget film. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, really, this movie encapsulates so well the idea of not having to be, you know, or really, I guess, in a sense, more or less, existing in what reality has portrayed, what what's what what that's like, and uh, I don't I don't know. I I think just dealing with something like that is just truly powerful, you know, exploring and living and actually giving a damn. Uh, what nature can bring to the table for you. And a lot of people forget about that. And that's why, you know, once again, I just find this guy so fascinating, Christopher McCandless. So 
but to kind of go more into the movie aspect of it, I'll talk more on the story of Christopher McCandless, but I think the movie just does a decent job all around. So I really don't need a whole, whole lot to tell you in regards to that because the movie does it so well. So, yeah, just kind of starting out, we see his mother gloating to a complete stranger, uh, I guess, at a, at a fancy restaurant after Chris graduated from Emory College. Um, and then he's kind of talking to his dad, too, while they're at the dinner table. And... Um, it's funny because Braves fans come in after, I guess, a Braves game, um, you know, and um, it's just between them two, the parents themselves, they, they, they come off as very keeping up with the Joneses, I guess, if you will, very haughty toddy kind of like people. Um, and Chris, you know, their son didn't find any reasoning to really be affiliated with that, I think. Uh, I'm kind of in the same room in that respect. I don't really want to, you know, get caught up in all that jargon. And uh, so he kind of was telling his dad he, he's really considering Harvard Law. I don't know if he was telling him that um, to throw them off because his plan was to obviously... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Into the Wild, but his, you know, his ultimate goal is to get to Alaska and just live in the wilderness. But yeah, he was telling his dad that he was considering Harvard Law and that he saved up almost $24,500.68 to the T. I like how they emphasize the point on that because uh, apparently, I guess, Chris, Christopher McCandless, um who is also, excuse me, is also played by Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch is a fantastic actor, I think. Um, you know, I, I think he really deserved some type of an award or some, you know, something. But I don't think he really, unfortunately, got anything for this particular part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's talking to his parents wanting to buy Chris a new car. You know, there's like I said, they're just discussing this at dinner. I think this was, at, by the way, this was actually actually right after graduation. So at, right after he graduated, and um, you know, it, it's portraying in that scene that Chris has a problem with it already when his parents are wanting him to buy a vehicle because they're saying his car, uh, I guess in a sense, is an old junker. It's it's uh, it's a Datsun, by the way. It's a very old, old kind of. I guess it looks like a four-cylinder, pretty much, in a sense, if you can depict that in your mind. And, um, yeah, they emphasize that he's like, I don't want these things, these things, these things, these things, or whatever. And his parents are, like, distraught by that fact. And um, Chris, it's funny, too, because I guess his parents don't understand him at all. And... um, all these objects and things are they're not important to Chris, you know, and um I kind of agree with him in that regard, you know, and um i I like the fact too, just kind of reverting onto the next scene, I guess um he has his love of Jack London, who is an amazing author um if you ever get the chance to pick up a Jack London novel, um I think you're in for a treat. But, yeah, with White Fang, I actually have read that book. I haven't read it entirely, and I hate to admit that fact, especially since I'm doing 
uh, an episode on Into the Wild because Jack London, there's a lot of Jack London nuance material in this in this movie. Um, and then there's also Boris Pasternak with Dr. Zhivago. Um, and I actually bought these books solely based on this movie just because I'm like, oh my God, that's very interesting. And sure enough, when I, you know, got the Jack London White thing, I mean, I was hooked uh, almost immediately. And, um, but I have, a, I have a terrible point of finishing things. <laughs> so that's the problem with me. But I'm wanting to, you know, hopefully eventually get back into it. Maybe, maybe after I get done recording this episode. So who knows? But moving on to the next scene, uh, Christopher McCandless, the main guy, the actual real life guy, chooses a pseudonym by the name of Alexander Supertramp on July of 1990. And this was, he left in May. So, um, you know, he had a couple of months before he actually was like, all right, I think I'm going to, you know, change my name to travel the road. And so he wanted to be off the grid in a sense, pretty much. And he had his mail actually held at the post office until August. And, you know, it'd give him, you know, a little bit more time to get away from his folks. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about why he chose to get away from his folks. And uh, it's pretty dark. Uh, but I'll save that for, uh, eventually um, within, you know, as the time goes on. But I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> but, you know, there was another just kind of I'm trying another thing, too. I'm trying to do this scene by scene uh, just to kind of maybe you don't even have to watch the movie after you listen to this podcast. But I, I highly recommend you watching this movie as well. But there there was such a, an, a, a great moment it wasn't even that, that you know that long of a moment but he had this connection of isolation with this deer in the woods uh and looked up and you know he saw an ounce of civilization left when a jet flew over I thought that was so cool how there was so much isolation isolation excuse me built up into that moment but yet you could still see some type of civilization still um so I guess unfortunately even if you try, I guess what it comes down to is even if you try your hardest, sometimes you are not isolated, regardless of what what may what may be, you know. But yeah, I, I like I like how he, you know, he's he's pretty much a wanderer or a drifter at this point, um, and he comes across it's and I guess they're a group of I haven't done a whole lot of research on this because I was doing ma- mainly my research on the movie itself, but apparently. Uh, if you hoof it, you know, and you're just a drifter, you're called a leather tramp, which I didn't know that for until obviously until I saw this movie. And then there's a thing called rubber tramps, and that's where Jan and Rainy come into play. And these are vital characters throughout the the movie itself. I think there's a lot of correlation to with what what was actually in reality, because like I said, this is a nonfiction story. Um, as well as, actually, I think I lost my train of thought, but I think what I'm saying is, is yeah, Jan and Rainey, they come across, oh, that's what I'm saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but yeah, I didn't know how much correlation there was if these characters were in fact real within the, you know, the reality of Christopher McCandless, or if it was actually just uh, inserted into the movie itself. I'm thinking the latter, just to make the movie more interesting, but I could be wrong, you know, because didn't, they didn't share a whole lot about that. But 
I almost want to say yes, it's true with Jan and Randy because he, Chris, kept a journal, you know, a diary with him. So I'm sure what was written within that journal, I'd love to see that journal, by the way, if it ever, I don't know if it's necessarily online, but um, probably not for his family. It's a keepsake and it's, um, you know, it's very sincere and they want to keep it close within the family, I could see. So, yeah, I think... One great quote that Alex says, you know, to Jan, um, you know, she she inquires about uh, his book on leaves and berries, you know, because they're, they're sitting around the campfire at, the, at this point. And uh, I know I've been fast forwarding quite, quite a bit, but I think I've been trying to keep it more, you know, mainly on point uh, within the movie itself. But yeah, so she inquires uh, about this book on leaves and berries. She says... You know, why, you know, why do you think you just need that? And she's, and then he responds with, well, I don't necessarily think you need more than that. And he also talks about he doesn't need money, makes people cautious, which I completely agree. This movie is so smart and it's beyond belief sometimes. I'm like, man, when, when it comes down to it, you know, not all this crap really does matter if you think about it. If you truly think about it, it doesn't matter. And I love the quote that he has, too. It says, rather than having love and money and faith and fame and even fairness, give me truth. And I just, I was kind of awestruck when he said that. I was like, wow, that is pretty incredible. It really is, because that's, I think in my mind anyways, I, I'm in total agreement with this movie, but I think in my mind anyways that that is so spot on. I really do. And that's honestly how I try to live my life to that extent if I can, you know, and, uh, so far I feel like I'm managing that anyway. So another little throwaway line that they have within the movie itself, it says, uh, you know, it, it, what's so great about this movie too, is the fact that they kind of go from, they go back and forth between past and present. So they were depicting in this, uh, just a quick scene, it says, um, you know, that I guess, or they were portraying rather, that Chris had bought his dad like a telescope. By the way, I think his dad was like an engineer of some sort with NASA, very smart guy. Um, but he liked, his, he liked his objects, you know. He says, Chris says, I got you this huge, huge token, this huge big token. Uh, you know, setting down his father's telescope in front of him. Uh, so I think that emphasizes the point that his dad was just like a, a huge thing for, you know, objects in life. And that's kind of unfortunate, but I mean, it is what it is. And so his sister talks about the the parents were trying to make them choose who to live with at this point within the movie. And that's just a very disheartening thing. And I can only imagine thousands upon thousands of children that actually have to go through that particular predicament. And that's, uh, I hate that. I've never had to deal with anything like that, thankfully. But I can only imagine what it actually feels like. Uh, I just, if you're going through something like that, the struggle, uh, that is a massive struggle. And um, I'm sorry, you got to contend with that. So... Um, moving on, <laughs> I didn't want to get too much of a sob story, but that, that is a that is a huge topic to discuss because I know a lot of kids 
unfortunately have to contend with something like that. But moving on to week three, um, he finds Magic Bus. Now, Magic Bus is this, like I said, they're kind of going back and forth between past and present. They do it so well, the pacing. In my podcast, probably not so much, but within the movie, if you watch the movie, it's um, they do it very well. But we come to week three, like I just stated. Um, found, finds Magic Bus. He's up in, you know, Alaska at this point. And, um, you know, he brought a huge, uh, probably like a five-pound bag of rice. And uh, um, he, he's writing, he has a journal, a daily journal that he writes in. And it says, rice warning already after three weeks. Um, he also kills a squirrel. Uh, that was his first kill of an animal. And, I, you know, living out in the wilderness and bushcrafting, in a sense, pretty much, if you haven't, if you, haven't you know, uh, know what bushcrafting is, I highly recommend you YouTubing that as well. It's very interesting. It really is. Uh, kind of gets you out of your comfort zone and, like, a little bit as far as, like, being, in, like, or living, rather, in a total different mindset. Um, but yeah, in a sense, that's what he's doing, but he finds this bus that's been stranded. Uh, I don't necessarily know how he got there, but I feel like it's obviously, I feel like it's probably, uh, between, I probably should have done my research on this, but I haven't, but that's all right. But I guess they kind of leave it to your imagination because they don't really tell you within the movie how it got there, but maybe from like a church group or like a camp, you know, a summer camp. And they just left the bus there because maybe it broke down and they couldn't get it out there. I Who knows? Who knows? Or festival people. You know, who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, he got to actually... So, I guess they're, you know, once again, they're bouncing back and forth between the two. I guess this would be considered in the past. But he actually gets up to eastern South Dakota. This is actually 19 months uh, before Magic Bus, uh, this was on September the 10th of 1990, you know, and he's telling Vince Vaughn in a, like a drunken stupor, if you will, his plans to get away from civilization or society, you know, because they say, they're like, society, <laughs> and then like Vince Vaughn joins and he's like, yeah, society, it sucks, and all this, these phonies and um, all these, you know, terrible people that, Chris doesn't want to be a part of, but Vince, you know, he keeps inquiring about why, like, why do you want to go? And he's just like, I guess, you know, pretty much ultimately Chris is saying that he's just tired of the, all the bullshit and, um, very relatable. I don't know if I said that earlier, but this movie is very relatable as well. Um, you know, another little throwaway line. I try to been, I've been inserting these as well. Um, within this particular ep- uh, show, rather, just because I was finding him. Um, and there was, like, this weird inflection in Vince Vaughn's voice when he says, one of the things that you should try to keep your eye on is what happens in the, 19, in the late 1940s in Roswell. And he says Roswell extremely, I don't know, it's weird. I understand he's acting, but it's just, it comes off a little weird. Um, and his parents finally figured out that Chris gave his life savings away to charity that 24k like i mentioned earlier that 24,568 cents sorry 24,500 cents 500 dollars and 68 cents 
Jesus, I need to, I need to go to bed or something. <laughs> um, but anyways, that I, I find that extremely admirable that he was able to do that. You know, he could have easily taken that money, twenty four grand, and uh, ran with it. You know. And probably would have been a whole lot better off in Alaska as opposed to scavenging for nuts and berries. But I understand why he was doing it, too. So um, another – what I like, too, about this movie is the fact that his sister tends to narrate uh, throughout the entire movie, which is very interesting, which I like. So, so she mentions that her and Chris were indeed bastard children. Their father um, – the um the engineer like i was ta- talking about earlier he actually cheated on his first wife with their mom um isn't that something so there was already a lot of root problems caused earlier on before the kids even came to life you know starting a relationship like that that's oh man that is terrible um you know and actually having kids um you know sprung from that but, you know, once they realized this, it made their childhood seem like complete fiction. Which, I, you know, if I was in that particular point and uh, from that, you know, that perspective, absolutely. I would, I'd be like, why, you know, why am I even here? You know, that's, uh, I don't know how you could find any type of love off of something like that and bringing children into the world. Um, but fast forwarding to the present time, Chris takes it upon himself to actually kayak. He actually, what I like this scene too, because he actually was kayaking down a river without a license or helmet, you know, cause he, he actually went up and was like, I wonder how, you know, how much it actually costs. I guess he went to like a guard shack or something like that, uh, where they keep all the kayaks and he was wanting to actually, you know, he was trying to actually do it the right way, but, um, he came to terms with the fact that he would almost have to spend two grand on getting a license and a, a helmet. And, um, he, he's not putting up with that. So he just took it upon himself to actually go down the river and he comes across these two, uh, travelers in a sense, I guess, you know, roamers and, uh, they're from Copenhagen, Copenhagen, Denmark. And the, and the guy Mads, uh, that's his name. He says, come, we have hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sonia, completely, not completely naked, but she is topless, and you get to see her boobies, and uh, they're pretty awesome, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but they're so lively and so charming, and um, they're just funny, they're almost like cartoon characters in a sense, um, how they're portrayed, Um but yeah, it's, uh, you know, they mentioned that, that, you know, they're going to L.A. And they're actually, or I'm sorry, they've already been to L.A., but they're actually going to Las Vegas next. And Alex, unfortunately, had to leave abruptly within this scene. Um, he was starting to make friends, but, you know, unfortunately, the damn River Patrol was, um, you know, their sirens were going off and you could, you could hear it. And they were on the hunt for them uh, because, I guess... Another thing, too, is, like, uh, I guess uh, either a tourist or somebody spotted Alex, and I guess they reported it, and uh, the damn river patrol had to, had to come get him. But for- fortunately enough, they didn't. Uh, he was able to get away. Um, 
you know, going into the next sequence, we find Alex at a payphone. Um, and like I, like I said earlier, I'm trying I'm trying to do the best of my ability to try to try to give us due justice within this movie because it is very meaningful to me. I enjoy this movie very much, um, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to do the best I can. <laughs> like I said, maybe not necessarily beat by beat, but for the most part, if you, if I if I can, I feel like I am. Um, but like I said, going to the next sequence, we see Alex at a payphone, and the camera pans to the right for the audience to see an old man opposite of Alex. So we overhear the old man say at this point that, Honey, it's, it's me. I'm sorry. Everything that had happened is my fault. Alex looks up with a disheartened facial expression. And the old man then says, give me another chance. Please do that for me. Just do that for once. They're, they're actually calling for another quarter at this point. He's talking to the operator on the other line. Uh, that's another thing, too, with payphones back in the day. You don't, you don't see those anymore. And um, different, different time back then. And he's like, and I ain't got it. So if you hurry up, come on now. Don't hang up on me. And then Alex decides to call to not rather, I'm sorry, to not call home and gave the old man his quarter instead. And I like the old man's response here. It says, there's, a, there's another quarter that just happened out of the sky. I'm, so I'm here talking again. And unfortunately, the audience sees the old man get disconnected. I like to think he got disconnected. Maybe not necessarily hung up on. Um, because if that was true, I, I always, I don't know. I have a big heart for when I see, you know, older people either, you know, get super emotional or, you know, get teared up. It's 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 a different type of emotion as opposed to you seeing a younger person, you know, crying or something like that. It's just, um, you know, they've been through a lot. But, uh, yeah, so going... Let's see. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the sister's narration, Jenna Malone, by the way, who's portrayed the sister that's portrayed. Um, she mentions just, you know, over the movie, I guess they're kind of painting back into the present. But at this point, he she says when, you know, he was only six years old talking about Alex, he wandered six blocks away from home at three o'clock in the morning. He was found in a neighbor's kitchen up on a chair digging through the candy drawer. Whatever drawer he was opening now must have something pretty sweet in it. And he's, she's pretty much, you know, talking about how, what he's doing in life at the moment. And I, I love the fact, too, how they pan to the next sequence of Alex just running with wild horses and looking in the Alaskan mountains and breathing in the Alaskan. I can only imagine what kind of air quality out is out in Alaska. I bet it's amazing. Very crisp, very clean air. Just living in that moment. Absolutely. Oh gosh. I that's definitely on my bucket list. I don't think I would necessarily do something as close to Mr. McCandless, you know, as far as all the 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 fauna and the foliage, those type of books, reading that, living off the land. I could probably do it but not for as long as he was doing it for I would definitely take a lot more precautionary measures uh yes I'm a meat eater and I probably you know I, at least I you know I am a hunter because uh, I go hunting with my dad so I, I would know how to you know at least live from that point and try to at least live by you know killing an animal if I had to if I had to survive absolutely 
And, um, you know, I, I think another thing too, another great quote within this movie that he says is, um, my days were more exciting when I was penniless. And, um, that's, that's pretty amazing, uh, to even hear something like that. And it gives me hope within my life because I'm not, you know, I'm not making like the, the, uh, I'm not like the richest guy by any means at all, actually. And, um, maybe that's another reason why I'm actually wanting to, you know, I'm, uh, you know, continuing on with press play to continue rewind and seeing where it takes me. And hopefully I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, um, I can either once again, make this into an actual company. If I can get some, some support, uh, or it's another thing too. Asking for support is extremely, extremely. What's the right word? I don't even know. But it's tough, and it's it's kind of ridiculous almost. But I, I see it as a, um, you know, this this particular company I'm trying to build is um, it's tough, you know. So um, there you go. I'll I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, it's it's um, it's pretty pretty amazing and very gives me a lot of hope, regardless of how much money I make. And um, we're moving on to chapter three now, manhood. Chris, or AKA Alex, at this point, because like I mentioned earlier, his name is Alex Supertramp on the road. He actually had to get a job at Burger King for a bit to continue on with this trip to Alaska. Now his mom and dad start to become quite delirious at this point because what's portrayed within the movie and I can only imagine in real life as well um, it feels like their their lives are at a loss because they've lost their son he's been almost gone for what eight to almost a year eight months out of almost a year now and um going back to another narration from his sister within the movie instincts that seem to sense the threat of a loss so huge and irrevocable that the mind box is taking its measure and uh, I was like wow yeah that's uh, so on point um, in imagining that your son would never come back or daughter whatever it may be from a parent's perspective, uh, that's huge. Um, Chris finally reverting back to, I guess, present day. Like I said, this movie is so back and forth, but they pace it so well. Um, finally kills a moose, and unfortunately doesn't get to eat it, any of the meat off of it. Flies get it, you know, get to it real fast. Um, then the maggots start to set in. He actually woke. He actually wrote down. Excuse me in his journal that it was one of the most travesty, one of the most heart, disheartening travesties in his life. He has seen his parents physically fight each other as well. So think about that. That when I when I kill a deer too and I have in the past or if I've killed a dove, I'm like it's tough uh to do it to actually do the deed of killing. But I understand why it needs to be done, especially from a surviving standpoint. And also, so you don't have to worry about, like, processed meat and all that kind of stuff, you know. So that, uh, it's it's tough killing an animal, but I understand, you know, the reasoning behind it. Um, 
And I do have, you know, my vegan and vegetarian friends, I'm sure, listening to this, too. And they're probably hating and shouting at the radio or whatever you're listening to or however you're listening to this particular podcast. But it's, I don't know, that is a tough subject. And, um, but anyways, moving on to chapter, <laughs> moving on to chapter four, the family. It just says family. Uh, December 18th of 1994, months before Magic Bus, he meets back up with Jan and Rainey, the two rubber tramps that I was mentioning earlier. And they told Alex, or Chris rather, uh, to meet up with them in Slab City, California, a little town north of Mexicali, California. I actually had to look it up. And it's actually a place uh, called Slab City in California. It's just actually kind of right above the border of Mexico. Um it's pretty much, you know, the Slab City is pretty much an RV park, but there's a wholesome vibe to the area, you know, full of outlaws, showmen, musicians, and down-to-earth people. Sure, some people will, will call, you know, them cruel names just because, I, you know, I feel like there's a bad stigma behind RV parks and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I think if you're happy, I've never really got that. I think if you're happy, you know, isn't that all that matters? You know, in life, I, I always, with anything in life, if, if you're happy and there's a bad stigma behind it, unless it's like methamphetamines or heroin or, you know, murdering somebody, I think if you're happy doing it, then by all means, I think go for it. But what I just mentioned, but af, you know, after those disheartening and deleterious type, type of, you know, words, I think if you can find happiness above that, that's all that matters, I feel like, anyways. But, you know, anyways, you know, we come to Tracy Tatro, who is also played by Kristen Stewart. Now, she is pretty much immediately into Alex from the get-go, and uh, she's a musician. And uh, I will admit, I will admit, and I'll just say it right here, right now, Kristen Stewart is extremely attractive in this movie, um, I don't think she was. <laughs> now this sounds very pedophilish, but yeah, she's 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 cute in this movie. But uh, I don't think she was sixteen, even though she was portraying a sixteen-year-old. Even though she she lied to Alex and she said that she was eighteen, actually. Um, but yeah, she's she's very pretty in this movie, and. Um, yeah, and they, you know, they eventually, you know, Tracy, or Kristen Stewart, rather, um, finally goes up to Alex and wants to wants to go to this place called Salvation Mountain. Now, Salvation Mountain's actually a real place, and that's on my bucket list, too, and I, I really hope to go there one day, because it is uh, such a monument, and uh, I want to be a part of that, hopefully, and take a, you know... Take pictures and be there, be in the moment. And it's actually just a couple minutes down the road from Slap City as well. So where they they actually meet a sweet old man, Leonard Knight. Now Leonard Knight actually plays himself in the movie, which I think is awesome. And uh, you should, you know, Google Salvation Mountain. If you don't know what it is, it's a hillside visionary desert environment created uh, in 1984 by Mr. Mr. Leonard Knight himself. He's actually a local there. And um, the artwork is made of adobe straw and painted from Christian sayings and Bible verses. A lot of upkeep is involved, unfortunately, with the you know keeping the monument alive. 
because of the treacherous weather in the deserts. I can only imagine like at like late at night it gets super super cold obviously and then like all the winds the you know the dust storms out there in the desert that's gonna be that's gonna be extremely tough on that um, that monument. But uh, another little funny throwaway line there after they get you know after they get done um, Tracy and Alex, rather Christopher McCandless and you know, or sorry, rather Emily Hirsch and uh, Kristen Stewart. Uh, like I said, a little funny throwaway line uh, within the movie is Rainey is sitting there with Alex, uh, and uh, we see Kristen Stewart gawking at Alex uh, as he's doing some sit-ups in front of Rainey. Uh, I guess he's just trying to prep his body for Alaska, and Rainey. Rainey says, that poor girl is ready to vault herself on a fence post. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, her hormones are raging as we find out later that, like I just earlier, like I mentioned that she's 16 when she actually, it's kind of a weird scene, but she, she wants to have, you know, she takes off her pants. She's just in her underwear. Um... And Alex denies her almost immediately because he's like, how old are you again? She's like, I'm 18. And she's like, and then he goes, well, what year were you born? And she goes, oh, and she gets like dumbfounded and she can't find it. And she's like, okay, I'm actually, you know, 16. And, um, but he denies her in a kind way, of course. And he says, do you want to actually do something together? And that's where we find them actually, like it said that she's a musician, Tracy, or Kristen Stewart, rather, um, and they sing a song together. It's a it's a beautiful song. If you haven't heard of it, it's a classic. It's called "Angel from Montgomery" by Bonnie Raitt. And it's a very soulful song. Um, definitely listen to it. It's got a deep meaning about life and the day to day of just living. You know. By the way, I don't I don't know. Ooh, I'm sorry. Did I mention earlier that this movie was a had a very good job? I I think I did mention this, but I just wrote it in my in my notes. But there's a good pacing. Obviously, you know, this back and forth between the movie, the past and the present uh, within only a two two year time span. And um, Alex thinks it's time to finally leave Magic Bus. So I guess they're, you know, they're obviously back into the present at this point. And he realizes by reading a book by Leo Tostoy. I don't know if you've ever heard of that author, um, but he, he, he uh, wrote a book called Family Happiness. And I honestly think. He was wanting to go visit Jen and Tracy and Rainey again, honest, honestly. Uh, I don't think he was actually wanting to go back to see his family, his real family. Anyways, so, um, yeah, he, he was ready to, you know, he's ready to pack up. He's ready to, you know, get out of Alaska at this point. And um, what unfortunately happens is Alex totally forgot to, re you know, he realizes when he was leaving the river he crossed earlier when he first got there to Alaska um, was in the wintertime. But now, unfortunately, that it's all melted down, you know, uh, he's leaving in the springtime. So obviously the river had to, you know, rise because of all the ice melting in the area. So now he's pretty much stuck in a sense, which is terrible. I can only, you know, imagine something like that and having to be like, OK, I'm like ready to leave. Can't cross the river because this river is it just goes on for miles, miles. And it's like it's huge. This and there there's rapids and there's rocks everywhere and it's like flowing extremely fast. So there's no way to cross it. 
And um, so he's got he's just got has to wait it out at this point. And um, so, yeah, he pretty much wrote in his journal, his daily journal. There's disaster impossible to cross the river. He's rained in. It's 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 like raining, you know, every other day at this point, too, as well. Lonely and scared uh, is what he wrote. Uh, that's. Uh, that's got to be tough going through something like that, being that scared and that alone. And by the way, this guy is only like 23 or 24 years old at this point, too. So me as a 23 or 24 year old, I'd be freaking out. Um, but then again, maybe not. I don't know. It, it, it's kind of just tough to put yourself in, in that particular position because I don't really know what it's like to live off the land for a prolonged period of time, you know? So we're at the final chapter now. Funny thing about that too, is the fact that there's only, you know, a handful of chapters within this movie, but I like how they, uh, I guess they pace the movie by chapters and not that many chapters, <laughs> which is fine, but, uh, it's about a two and a half hour movie too. Um, so if you do decide, just make sure you have a little time. It's no Titanic or, uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, as far as the duration of film, that's that's like four or five hours. Good lord! Uh, but it's a it's a you know two and a half good two and a half hour movie, and um, like I said, we get to a final chapter, and uh, it's getting of wisdom, is uh, what the title is called. We find another kind you know a kind old soul, uh, out of Ron, Mr. Franz, Ron Franz, played by Hal Holbrook. Uh, I looked him up too because I think I've seen him in other few things. Uh, nothing, nothing too crazy, but apparently back in like the you know the later late '60s or whatever, he uh, he did a play and he actually got a, an award for it. Um, something along the lines of he portrayed Mark Mark Twain, um, Samuel Clemens. That's his real name, by the way, Mark Twain. <laughs> um, but yeah, he got an award like an, I don't. I don't think it was an Academy Award, but uh, it was a very distinguished award throughout the acting community. But, um, yeah, so we find Mr. Franz, and uh, he offers to give Alex a ride to his base camp right outside of Oh My God Hot Springs. Um, and that's actually, <laughs> that's a real name, I guess, apparently. And it looks like it's, uh, you know, another RV park uh, this time. I guess... Uh, right outside of Slab City, I think, uh, as well. But this time, it's actually full of naked people. I guess kind of like Hippie Hollow, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> off of Lake Travis. Um, but yeah, they ju you just see it right out, you know, plain as day, full of naked people. Um, but yeah, they, they do the normal routine of, you know, questioning when, you know, you first meet somebody. And only, only this time, Mr. Fron gets slightly perturbed with Alex because he asks... Alex, why are you out here? You know, all the whys and the hows and whats. And, you know, how old are you? And shouldn't you be getting a job and making money? And all the normal questions you would ask, I guess, if you were, you know, in Mr. Franz's position coming across a 23 or 24-year-old, you know, just roaming about. Um, you know, it, Alex's response, I liked it too. His response was, Mr. Franz, I think... Careers are a 20th century invention. I don't live in destitute. I have everything I need right here, Franz says. In the dirt? And then, you know, Alex says, of course, in the dirt. You know, everything I've got, I want right here. 
And then, you know, Mr. Franz finally asks, where's your family, Alex? And then he says, in return, I don't, I don't have anyone. So feeling alone, but, you know, not necessarily being alone are two, you know, entirely separate entities. And um, it sucks to feel that way when you feel alone, even though, you know, technically speaking, you're not alone. That's, that's terrible. That's a terrible feeling. Um, so, you know, Mr. Franz is like 80 plus, but Alex challenges him to a climb, you know, climb the mountain. He only gets about halfway. Uh, but I thought that was kind of like a, a sweet little moment between them two. A, a nice little camaraderie, uh, if you will. Uh, but we find out that Mr. Franz um, is kind of a major component within this movie, too. Uh, because he, you know, he was enlisted in the army and then we actually learned that his wife and son got hit by a drunk driver, um, and they both died instantly. Um, and I'll tell you why it's, it's so important, um, for that. So that, you know, they start to grow a connection with one another, which is sweet because Mr. Franz, he reminds me a whole, whole lot about, uh, of my grandpa. And uh, I always, I, I will always think of that every time I watch this movie. I've watched this movie probably about, ah, I don't know, eight to ten times now at least. Uh, I just find a lot of enjoyment about it and a lot of truth and honesty within this movie. Um, but again, you know, uh, I guess a few days later, another thing too, I guess like Alex is, you know, once again trying to prep his body, you know, continuously by, you know, working out and training and he's climbing the mountain once again uh, a few days later and he challenges Mr. Franz yet again to another mountain climb and I, actually this time uh, he, he calls him a stubborn old man Alex does you know and that he sits on his butt and you know he Mr. Franz did not like that uh, at all so he you know he tells Alex tells Mr. Franz he says in every man you know, there's a, there's a spirit, uh, of new experiences within your soul, which I think is very true. Honestly, if you do, if you can experience at least something once in life, uh, maybe not something so detrimental, hopefully not, but you know, something, you know, that strikes happiness within yourself. I think that's, that's a powerful thing that you should carry on. Um, yeah, he, he, Mr. Franz finally takes the, you know, he takes the challenge. He actually ex succeeds this time. He was actually able to make it to the top of the mountain. And, um, and I like this, this great quote he had. He says, when you forgive, you love. And when you love, God's light shines on you. And then Alex, they just pan to the camera into his eyes. He says, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Franz is like, what? I told you not to use those words. I think that was just a, uh, just a very endearing moment between the two. Um, I just, I, I just uh, enjoyed that um, little moment. I, I never really uh, have cussed around my grandparents out of respect. For one, I just know it's not the right thing to do. And, um, but I, I found that moment to be extremely real though too um especially be between the the actual age gap between the two um but yeah uh you know once again the time lapse that was that was from the past he's 
So Alex, in a sense, he's remembering all these things that have led up for him to go to Alaska. Like Once again, people, I, this is a true story. So take that into consideration. It's just an amazing, amazing story. Um, I wish it could be shared more. Maybe that's why I'm actually doing it into episode 16, so it can be shared throughout, um, you know, whoever's, you know, listening, my audience, which is not that many, but I appreciate the people that are, in fact, listening and tuning in still, still to this day. So thank you for that. But yeah, time, time has lapsed again. We're going back into the present time with Alex. Um, at this point, he's like frantically, you know, searching for food and showing clear signs of zoomophoric rage, if I'm saying that word correctly. Zoomophoric? I think that's right, yeah. And uh, <laughs> he finally concludes that maybe his book on wild berries and plants might be the answer. So... Uh, he enjoys a wild potato root that night, but he's still hungry um, once he writes that into his journal. He writes in his journal beat by beat what he does on a daily, which I would too. You know, if I'm in that much of isolation, I would have to, you know, have something to pass the time, even though, that, you know, there is nature to be seen and all that kind of good stuff too. But, you know, you still have to find ways to, you know, make the time go. And, um, yeah, he like I said, he enjoys a wild potato root. And um, so he looks in his book at this point. This is like a huge climatic moment, I think. Um, he reads in his book of, you know, wild berries and plants that this thing called wild sweet pea is inedible. And wild potato, also known as Alaska carrot, is edible. Both plants are extremely similar looking, and unfortunately, this is this is uh, his demise. And I hate I hate to bring that to your attention that way, but that's it. That's you know, so that's how he dies. So this is how Christopher McCandless, you know, this, he starts to become completely malnourished. And as he looks through his book, he you know, like I was just saying, he realizes that he has poisoned himself by eating the wrong plants. And that, what a way to go. Uh, and I just wanna to bring to the point too that I have eaten a, <laughs> I hate to admit this, um, but I was trying to make friends back in the day when I, when I was like 10, I was my, you know, uh, my my neighborhood friends, I guess, if you if you will, in a sense. But yeah, they dared me to eat this wild plant, and um, not the smartest decision by any means. Uh, but I did it uh, just to join their like their little club or whatever. And uh, that's a whole another story I could get into. But pretty much, I'm fine now, obviously. But during that moment in time, I was um, I was uh, throwing up a lot. Uh, and my parents were freaking out and, uh, I probably would be too. I, 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 I was just so sick to even freak out cause I just kept throwing up. But I, yeah, I can remember that day when my mom and dad were just, uh, I don't even know what to say anymore, but that's, uh, that had to be terrible from a, you know, parent's perspective like that. And, um, yeah, that's his unfortunate, unfortunate demise, you know? 
And, you know, as he looks through the book again, he, like I said, he realizes that he, he actually poisoned himself by eating the wrong plant. You know, in the book, it actually reads, if digested and not treated right away, that it will lead to starvation and death. And, uh, you know, he starts to hallucinate and becomes delirious. He's completely incoherent at this point. He has a dream that that night uh, about his last encounter with Mr. Franz. It's a sad scene because Mr. Franz says, I have an idea. My mother was on, you know, my mother was actually an only child. And so was my father. He kind of looks off in the distance. Mr. Franz thinking about his mom and dad for a split second. He says, uh, I was there, you know, I was their only child as well. So when I'm gone, you know, I'm kind of the end of the line, which is very sad to hear. That's extremely sad. Um, but it says, you know, pretty much my family is finished at this point. And he kind of, you know, brings the, you know, question to Alex. He says, you know, what about this? He, he pauses for a split second and he goes, what do you say if you let me adopt you? Now, you know, I could be your grandfather, you know. I just find this scene just, uh, I don't know what I would say. Probably me, I would probably have to take him up on it if I was in that particular situation. Because seeing, like I said earlier, seeing old people cry and just getting, uh, it, it's a tearjerker. It really gets to me. Uh, because you could see Ron's, Mr. Franz's eyes glaze over and, um, he was ready to cry at that point. It sucks uh, because Chris pretty much was saying that, Mr. Franz, let me let me think about it and let me I'll I'll give you my answer once I get back to Alaska. You know, and the next day, Chris's health is in major decline mode at this point, and he can hardly walk or stand upright. You know, moving pretty much around like a zombie. Uh, if you can only, you know, I'm sure that, you know if you don't know what a zombie is, my God. Uh, but yeah, he's just moving very sluggish, very lethargic. Um, and he writes in his journal once more, happiness is only real when shared. That, that's, uh, I've come to both situations where I have, actually not necessarily situations, but I've just come in full agreement with that. If you find the right people and you can share those moments with them, and actually make it into truth and let it just be real and be honest and genuine. I wholeheartedly believe that quote uh, with every ounce of my being. Honestly, I really do. Um, being in isolation, and I feel like that's what I'm doing right now at my li in my life at the moment because I guess that's the cards that have been dealt out to me, which is fine. But I hope to you know find happiness one day and I can actually share that happiness with somebody. Um, you know, and we see he has an, you know, an epiphany at this point by, you know, pretty much writing that quote in his journal, seeing that maybe, you know, that it's not okay to be in complete isolation after all. He knew he was on the brink of despair at this point. Uh, it is sad to see how he's portrayed during his final days. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I, in a sense, I guess I kind of have. This is pretty much a spoiler uh, podcast on, on this particular movie. If you haven't watched it, uh, I highly recommend you watching it before, you know, listening, even though I probably should have said that at the beginning of the, the episode. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's just sad to see how he went out, you know, that, that, that whatever, that, that berry or whatever he ate, that particular root, uh, you gotta be careful with that. And, uh, I got very lucky, um, with whatever I ate. I think it was like a, like a, a, a like a flower bulb, uh, if you will. It's, it, it seemed like an onion, but I was just eating it. No problem. Uh, I was probably like 12 years old being extremely stupid. I'm like, oh, if I eat this, I can join your club. Okay. Uh, whatever. And, um, like I said, I got extremely lucky. Um, so it's just, that's pretty much all I had, um, within this episode. I know it went for a long, long time. Uh, but I wanted to try to give this movie its due justice. Uh, I will say just to kind of wrap things up too, um, that he, I don't know, he just had so much more life to live, but in the end, I can honestly say he lived a pretty full life, you know, experiencing the highs and lows. It takes most people a long time to experience what he did within just a few short years, which I find extremely commendable, very respectable too. Like I said, this is a true story, people. It's just um, crazy. It's just a, it's just a wild story. And uh, yeah, he, Christopher McCandless, unfortunately, like I said, he, he's, he passed away August 18th of 1992, but he was born in 1968, uh, February. And then, you know, two weeks after Chris's death, there was a couple of moose hunters that discovered his body actually in the magic bus. There was an undeveloped self-portrait of Chris in front of the bus smiling from ear to ear. Um... And there was all these these notes that were written on the bus as well. And uh, I think, I think the bus is actually still in Alaska. That's a huge thing I want to do too. I want to go to Alaska, see the magic bus. And then I also want to go to Salvation Mountain in California. Hopefully, and enjoy that moment as well. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they're just genuine honest things in life that that need to be fulfilled for me from my end anyway so I'm hoping hoping I can make it up there uh, at some point but it on the last note it says uh, you know on September 19th of 1992 Kareen McCandles I'm sorry why did I say McCandles it's been McCandless all along but his sister uh, Chris's sister flew her brother's ashes from Alaska to the eastern seaboard and she carried them with her on a plane in her backpack um, yeah I just you have to watch this movie please do it uh, because I feel like especially if you're a you know you have like a fork in a ro- you know in the road within your life and you're trying to figure out what to do maybe this will kind of give you you know um, a different insight on life, and that's that's why I like this movie so much. Is because it's it's completely from the different you know day to day and the grind and the rat race uh, that you know about you know eighty. I, I don't know. I'm just throwing this number out there. I'm about I'd say about seventy five to eighty percent of the people go through, and uh, he chose a different path. And I thank him for that, and uh, I always will. And I wish he was still with us today, but um, if the McCandless family eventually listens in on this, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And to the audience, 
that does follow me on a week-to-week basis, and I try to get these uh, episodes out there on a weekly. I know this episode will be going up on Sunday. Uh, the earliest I've gone is Friday. I like to get back on that schedule, but this another thing too. This uh, particular week has been a little rough on me. You know, with Valentine's Day, uh, not so much of even me being single, but um, my grandpa. He uh, he passed away on this day, and it sucks because. Um, I don't have both of my grandpas anymore. Um, I do still have a grandmother. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping to go visit soon. I'd love to go visit her and just enjoy her time. And um, maybe I can even get her on a uh, podcast, talk about her time. That would be an amazing, amazing episode. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping maybe eventually one day I can get enough, you know, credibility and if not, you know, courage uh, their lack of built up within myself to, uh, maybe get her on the, uh, get her on the air and show, share a little bit of insight that we're completely unaware of and her wisdom and thoughts and ideas. So I just want to thank you for tuning in. I really do mean this. Thank you. Always. Thank you for tuning in to press play to continue rewind. I couldn't do this without y'all honestly. And, um, like I said, head on over to my Patreon. If you want to support me, I would be greatly appreciative. If you don't and you still want to tune in as well, that's fine too with me. I just appreciate any type of interaction. I thrive off of it. So thank you again and always, always be kind and rewind. Thank you. Rewind is a product of Press Play to Continue. The show is produced by me, Corey Latimer. You can find me on Instagram at Corey with an E-Y and my Snapchat, C-O-R-E underscore L-A-T-I-028. As you know, all things Press Play to Continue are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash pressplay to continue. I'm internally grateful for your time, your love, and your support. Thank you.